Welcome to the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Hi, I'm Bart Hoven, working at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, where I'm heading up our cyber capacity building program. Thanks for joining us here at Sydney University's uh, Southeast Asia Centre. I'd really like to know, Bart, in terms of the paper that you've presented and the themes that you're trying to raise over issues of cybersecurity, the way information flows and works and is controlled, how does that affect the way we might understand this type of information and cybersecurity in Australia? The topic I'm um, talking about is uh, kind of cyber conflict, so kind of what's happening by states or between states. And obviously, we've all seen in the media lots of high-profile cyber attacks or presumed cyber attacks, which predominantly involved what we call the very cyber-mature nation, so let's say the US, China, Israel, and a few others. Russia. Russia, not yeah. forget Russia. Mm-hmm. And what I'm kind of focusing on is how does that impact Southeast Asia? Isn't it the case that Southeast Asia is in the very same game but is not at the moment kind of catered to um, looking at uh, the digital domain through the prism of conflicts and a kind of traditional, through a traditional security lens? Actually, there have already been incidents or situations, let's say over the past 10 years, uh, which you could classify as national security cyber incidents affecting all of the ASEAN member states. So the entire region has been affected by what's happening internally in the region or what's happening outside, except for the fact that it's, I think, poorly recognised at this stage, nor do we see a lack of capabilities to assess situations properly and to have proper responses in place as well. And that will impact eventually the stability of the internet as the nations digitalize, as economies grow and become increasingly reliant on digital technologies, might be an impediment to the trust and confidence in, in the digital domain um, in the long run. Do you think that part of the issue about cybersecurity and the information um, infrastructure that is prevalent in Southeast Asia, of course, one, I guess, it's not monolithic or common. Each country has a slightly different way of how it's all organized. Yep. And at different levels of development as well. And that, in a way, affects how these foreign state actors mm. might also be able to influence. Well, yes and no. I think if you look at, let's say, the very basic level of mm-hmm. the internet infrastructure, mm-hmm. that's quite common across the globe and also in the region. So you have the same kind of ground layers of the internet in place. I would almost say no matter where you are in the world, it's just uh, where, where the differences are, how governments but also business communities and the, the, the technical organizations are organized nationally. And then, then that's affected like national regulations and, and government processes come into play. That's where you see, let's say, great differences between states in the region. And that's also where kind of misperceptions come into play. In particular, when you're talking about the different laws of cybercrime that have been decreed and issued over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. um, where you see countries taking a very strong stance uh, on cybercrime, um, and others have taken maybe a more liberal approach. So that's where you see, see great differences. Also, in terms of how countries are using the digital domain, is that as predominantly a, a sphere for economic prosperity? Or are we also seeing that national security institutions are trying to take control of the information space? And that's, I think, what we see in, definitely in a few countries in the region. So we have, a, let's say, a, a ground layer which is 
pretty common across the board. But when it comes to how governments, how businesses, how society deals with the infrastructure, I think that's where we see the major differences. When you look at the way the various societies and governments in the region deal with what you could call negative or malevolent information flows into these countries and how to regulate or control it, are there particular country examples or experiences which you think show a better response to another or, you know? Well, I think on a particular topic of, let's say, how to deal with, I think, what we call fake news or disinformation, yeah. I think that's a very particular and maybe also a niche topic, very high-profile topic, and very much in the minds of most politicians here in Australia, but definitely also in the region. For instance, we've been working with and in Indonesia for the last couple of years. Um, they established what they call a national cyber security and crypto agency. The number one thing on top of their mind was disinformation and how to deal with that in particular in the lead-up to the elections. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's a very particular topic, and I would almost argue that's not a cybersecurity topic. That's that's more of a of how do societies, how do political systems deal with mm-hmm. different opinions, opposition groups, and things like that. I would almost say that's at the very end of the matter when you talk about cybersecurity issues or the role of the state, because then you talk about legislation, blacklisting of IP addresses, and then the question is, how do you do that? So... Of course, it's every country's right, let's say, to have its own rules and regulations uh, in terms of what they allow people to share online as well as offline. And I think we all have opinions about what's common good practice. But then how do you enforce that? I think that's a very pertinent question. Do you consider infringing on the basic infrastructure of the Internet, which some countries do consider? And that's an undermining strategy which, which will go, let's say, beyond national borders. So that's, that should be definitely a regional concern as well. But how you enact those, that's a whole different matter. So basically, the part of the challenge, I suppose, for cybersecurity and you could say information security for all these societies. But these are two different things, right? Uh, so information security determines kind of the confidentiality, integrity and availability of data and the data systems. But information security adds another layer to that, which is the information, the content. And I think, let's say, from an Australian perspective, when we talk about cybersecurity, we primarily focus on let's say, the technical aspects. So make sure that the system and the data is not compromised. We're if not it, talking about content of the information. We hardly do that from our perspective. Yeah. But when you, let's say, work in the region in Southeast Asia, mm. it's a much wider conception mm. of, of what is yeah. ICT security. I think that's the official term, which also includes, let's say, this information component. I mean, that's just an interesting factor to realize that we're talking different things. But of course, the issue for a lot of Southeast Asian countries, when you talk about information flows, a lot of it has to do with the popular terms of fake news, the disinformation problem, all this false information that in some ways can provoke everything from verbal disagreements, different political outcomes, to even politically inspired violence. So for uh, Southeast Asians, that seems like a much bigger issue than just the integrity of the technology. That's right. Uh, But I would argue that that debate is not different from, let's say, the very same debate in the offline world. So if there are concerns and if there are problems of, let's say, what's happening in the offline world, that will immediately also impact what's happening in the online world. And the the thing with new technologies and social media is, of course, that it's much easier to access those and to get a broad attention than with traditional 
offline sources of, of communication. What would you argue is the central point of your paper, your, your discussion to this forum? So the, the, the central point of, of my discussion is if you look at how most Southeast Asian countries look at ICT developments and ICT security, it's, it's two things. One is that it's predominantly focused on economic development. The other thing is the management of content. But I think there's a much more serious potential problem here, and that's the compromise of IT systems, of let's say the cybersecurity infrastructure in most of the countries by either other states in their own region or from outsiders. And it's a threat that's largely undocumented, but it does impact the sovereignty or the autonomy of a nation. And the problem there is, I think there is a kind of angst in the region to be able to call out potential perpetrators, because these could be neighboring states or big powers in the region. But also it shows, uh, I think in most cases, a, an inability to properly investigate what's happening on their own networks. So, so all of the countries do have so-called computer emergency response teams, but obviously in different levels of maturity. Uh, and not being able to even secure uh, or, let's say, be confident that you are able to secure your own networks in your own country. Um, that, that's, I think, an, a factor to, that, that people are not willing yet to recognize. Do you think the inability to provide confidence, I guess, in securing these systems, mm-hmm. it's obviously not a problem that is at the same degree for all these countries, right? Different countries may have more confidence, more ability than other countries. Yeah. And even at a policy level, I guess, depending on the country, the seriousness of this threat is taken differently, isn't it? Absolutely. And you see that, let's say, the, the more, can I say, developed countries, um, particularly, for instance, now looking at Singapore. I mean, they are world class in terms of, obviously, their economic development, but also, let's say, the whole digital revolution or the digital developments that took place there, but also in terms of their cybersecurity capabilities. And it's not for nothing that they have also been kind of leading um, the debate in, in Southeast Asia to kind of get all the other countries on board to agree to particular international rules, international norms, um, so that there's a kind of a baseline understanding of what states should and shouldn't be doing in cyberspace. For instance, that, that first and foremost, states have to cooperate and exchange views, but also policies and strategies so that everyone knows where everyone is coming from, but also that if there is an incident that you shouldn't attribute it out of the blue, let's say, to another country because it so happens that there has been an IP address from a neighboring country. So doesn't, you have mean, to... doesn't mean that country is necessarily guilty, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It could be used as a kind of disguise or it could be channeled through different, let's say, locations right. in the world. And that it's often also part of, let's say, a kind of geopolitical setting. But it also says that if crimes are taking place on your territory, you have an obligation to pursue those criminals. You should not allow your territory to be misused to inflict damage on other countries in, mm-hmm. in the region. So these are a few of, let's say, internationally agreed norms. Um, Singapore has been very active in trying to bring others uh, in the region on board. But you see that, that those countries which either have a different geopolitical outlook or don't yet have, let's say, the sophisticated cybersecurity capabilities are much more hesitant to embrace that and play that active role. So presumably, like, the smaller ASEAN 
members like Cambodia or Laos or even perhaps uh, Brunei may not participate or have the same level of commitment that Singapore has? Well, it's a, I think it's a matter of commitment, a matter of, of, of willingness, as well as a matter of ability. At a policy level, too. At a policy level, yeah, mm. and at an, at an executive level, so at, at an implementation level. Mm-hmm. Because if, you, if you're talking about dealing with potential forms of infringement from very sophisticated state actors then you also need very sophisticated abilities yourself to, first of all, to identify it and then take uh, mitigating measures. Right. What threats would, you know, say foreign state actors actually pose to these ASEAN countries? Uh, if you look at, let's say, the cases thus far that have been kind of collected since 2009, um, 99% involves state espionage. So that's espionage of national security systems of universities, of defense contractors, of maritime industries, mm-hmm. all kinds of critical infrastructure. But it is being used as a tool to manipulate or influence and, in the, in the worst case, coerce a state to follow a particular line around mm-hmm. other conflicts. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a concern. And if left unaddressed, that's potentially a destabilizing factor uh, and potentially lead to, to conflict, as some UN reports have argued. So it's a matter of providing greater levels of transparency of what states are and are not doing in cyberspace. Um, the other thing I think you notice in, in the region is that some states are developing military capabilities. Countries like Singapore and Malaysia have been quite open about it and have said, yes, we have those capabilities. You're talking about not only resistance to cyber attacks... So that's the other angle. But to you're it, talking right? about a proactive... So there are two angles to it. One is, let's say, protecting your own infrastructure Mm. from an IT perspective, but then also your ability as a a government to conduct what we call kind of offensive operations. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, every country is entitled to, let's say, have its its military for defensive purposes and not, let's say, in the traditional sense, offensive purposes, but in order to defend yourself, you sometimes have to do something preemptively. So you're talking about offensive using cyber tools. Yes, and that is happening. And, and, and one of the things you notice in the region is that one or two states have openly declared that they have that capability, mm-hmm. have not said that they are actively using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are more states who are suspected to have those capabilities, but I mean, haven't declared any kind of uh, openness about whether they're doing that, and if so... Um, but what kind of rules or doctrine that's being regulated. And that's a greater concern because that could easily kind of, in a particular situation, spiral out of control. Mm. Do you find that a lot of these so-called cybersecurity measures and, in a way, the type of tools that Southeast Asian states have, a lot of this might also be informed by what they consider the threat that China poses to the region? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that part of the thinking, the influence? Definitely. If you look at open source reporting, you see of all those incidents that affect nations in Southeast Asia, 8 out of 10 are reported to be authored by actors which are believed um, to be supported by uh, the Chinese government. But Uh, it's basically incursions online on particular Southeast Asian state websites... Government foreign. networks, data of uh, defense and contractors. And it's traced trace to foreign state actors. It's eventually, yeah. 
but not just China. I mean, there are also examples of Western states doing the same thing, not the very same thing, but doing similar things Basically, with repercussions for some of the states in Southeast Asia. Right. And these are, in a way, attacks on critical infrastructure systems. Yes. Now, maybe attack is not the right word, but definitely attempts to compromise networks of critical infrastructure systems. And how widespread do you think the awareness in Southeast Asia is in these governments of um, investing in systems to resist such incursions? I think it's on everyone's mind, but it's a question of are you willing to invest in that? And does that match with quality or geopolitical outlook? And then do you have the ability, just the human skills and techniques available in your own country to, to, to build that capacity? How would you rate it? For it's very own? different. It's very different. Yeah. I think you, there are a few nations in Southeast Asia which are very cyber savvy, where you've got um, young generations of IT students uh, who, who could easily kind of compete in the international market. But uh, you require the state to take part in supporting such infrastructure, correct? Well, you need states, I think, to invest in educational opportunities for those students to mm-hmm. pursue a career in IT and IT security. And that's a challenge, uh, not just there, but we have the same challenge here in Australia as well. How do you educate youngsters to, to follow that career path and how do you retain them? Which countries, governments or states are investing in such capabilities? I presume you name Singapore and Malaysia as two? Yeah, uh, I, would, I would list uh, Vietnam, Thailand as well, where at least they're working on building a quality generation or cohort of IT mm-hmm. professionals which kind of form the backbone of the future economy. And other states have much more trouble in kind of building that. What about Indonesia? I think Indonesia is an interesting case simply because, on the one hand, they are investing very much in that, and you've got a very young, tech-heavy student population. The other side of the coin is it's such a big country, and they've recognized it themselves. It's just they're, they're challenged in kind of reaching out across the across the country. But also Indonesia and the Philippines are two of the biggest markets worldwide for popular American tech giant-owned applications, right? Mm. Like Facebook. So the engagement, in a way, with foreign actors here are not foreign states, but actually foreign corporations, right? Mm. Yes. But is that a threat as well to the particular state sovereignty when you have these corporate actors involved? Uh, I would say not necessarily. It depends, again, let's say, how how you as a government uh, interact with those companies. How do you as a government interact with the big tech companies? How, how can you come to kind of certain agreements, gentlemen's agreements on how you uh, how you work together where they take, let's say, the public their public responsibility into account and their government respect, let's say, their, their business independence? Because the Philippines, of course, uh, makes the news for how it is a center for what they call fake news, right? Mm. And in a way, disinformation campaigns and so on that influences Filipino political outcomes. But that has nothing to do with what foreign incursion, right? Not necessarily. I mean, it could be. But I think I think if you look at the region, it's mainly domestically related. And I think in most of the responses from states is also with a very domestic focus rather than a regional focus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different than other parts of the world. I mean, if you only refer to... Do you, do you expect that in Southeast Asia, that domestic 
focus might change very soon, given that China is an interested foreign actor in the region mm -hmm. and it wants maybe uh, a better reception to yep. some of its ambitions. Mm -hmm. And some of that can be persuaded using online space. Absolutely. I think you should be in an illusion, no one should be, that, that let's say states are trying to promote their interests and values through these new means of, of communication. So, so I'm sure that's happening. But again, kind of, it's, it's a matter of how you deal with that as, as a society, as a community, as, and sometimes as regulators. But very particular for this space is that regulation is often not um, the most uh, effective means to, to organize this. It's, yeah. it's also much more a, a matter of educating your people in dealing with different sources of information. Thanks very much, Mark, for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. For more podcasts like this, look up Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at soundcloud.com.